turn together to the book of Romans. We'll be looking this morning at a good section of Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. As we continue in our series on Christian living in a post-Christian world, this morning we're going to be looking at the subject of community amongst God's people. And so we'll look at this section in a fashion of an overview. When, Lord willing, I come to preach verse by verse through the book of Romans, I'll probably spend several weeks in this section, but not today. Today I want us to see an overarching theme in this section and how important it is for us as we live our lives to live with a sense of community. So if you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. It is completely sufficient. And it is completely authoritative. Praise be to God. Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would attend your word with power that You would teach us from Your Word, that You would encourage us from Your Word, that we would, by the work of Your Spirit, become more and more like Jesus. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. As we have been going through, thinking about what it's like to live in our modern world, we have remarked together several times that the world has changed. There seem to be new problems that come up. And old problems at times seem to be worse. But I think one way in which the world has changed that seems to be so obvious to everyone, even outside the church, is a complete breakdown of community. We don't live 
and grow up and retire in the same communities anymore. Our children get jobs states away and we have to visit them by, by getting on a plane and flying. We see it even in the architecture of our neighborhoods. When was the last time you saw a neighborhood filled with large front porches? They're all back decks now, behind fences. One of the most remarkable commercials that I've seen recently follows a young man as he goes out to a restaurant, to a coffee shop, to a library, to the streets. At every place he goes, he does not speak to a single person. He has special noise-canceling headphones in his ears. And his statement is, I don't have to listen to anyone. It's what I want to hear all the time. He has no time for anyone else. But if we're honest, it's not just the man in the commercial. It's you and me as well, isn't it? We have our own headphones, both physical and metaphorical, as we go about our own lives in a silo, as it were. But the Bible tells us that there is an answer for this, for this longing, for this feeling of loneliness that can come upon us. And it is a sense of community that comes through the church. Paul talks about that for us this morning. The church is first and foremost a community. And if we are going to live as Christians, we must undertake building community in a world that is increasingly individualistic. And so this morning I would like us to see community as it is built up. First, we will look at the foundations of community. And then second, we will look at what it means to live out community. And then third, we will see what it means not to surrender community in the face of difficulty. Community's foundations, community lived out, and a community that will not be surrendered. Let's begin then by looking at the foundations of community. Paul begins here in verse 9. And this is important for us because too often we want the results without the work. Don't we? We don't like to do the preparation work. We just want to get it done. And this will not work in a community. It doesn't work in, in building a home or a building either, does it? The grandest of structures, the biggest of walls, the fanciest of decorations mean absolutely nothing if the foundation is not sure. And so Paul says if we are going to begin thinking about community, we must start with the foundations in our own lives. As he goes through this section, something that you wouldn't be able to tell immediately from the Greek is that all of these verbs are participles. All of you students know what a participle is, don't you? It's kind of a verb that's an adjective too. It's like a hybrid. It's a verb that describes what a noun is as it's doing something. And so here you have to understand that when Paul is telling us that these are the foundations for our life, what he is saying is, this is who you must be. This is part of our being. It's not just what you do that counts. It's who you are that gives voice to what you do. And he begins in verse 9 with love. He says, let love be genuine. And he starts by telling us that love needs to be real. 
Now, this seems obvious, but we must understand that in our world today, so much of the world is fake. Isn't it? Knockoffs. And for many people, love actually is not real love, but it is self-fulfillment. We love things because they do something for us. We love people because they help us or because they make us feel better about ourselves. And you see, Paul says, this is not what real life, what real love is like. Real love is genuine. You cannot fake it because if you do, it will disappoint you. You know this, don't you? Imagine that we were not sitting here, but we were traveling along a much drier New York City street. And we walked by and we saw, lo and behold, a Rolex stand. Ooh, Rolexes. $50. Wow. I'm going to buy that Rolex, aren't I? Why not? Because you and I both know it's not real. And you and I both know that when we get it home, it will disappoint. And we will be sad that we spent the $50 on the junk and we will not be happy that we got a fake Rolex. That's what fake love is like. We think it will satisfy, but it doesn't. You see, Paul says, don't let love be hypocritical. That's what he means when he says, don't, when he says love must be genuine. He says love is not hypocritical. It is not a play actor. It is real. The second thing that he says about love is that it is discerning. Do you see this? Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Paul uses very strong language here. He says, you must strongly hate Things that are evil. Now this immediately comes at us and we say, well, Paul, if we're going to build community, shouldn't we just play nice? We shouldn't be saying bad things about anything. We should just try and be smooth and, 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 and try and be as nice as we can to as many people as we can. But Paul says, no. If you're going to love someone, you should desire the best for them. You should hold fast. You should cling to what is good. When Paul says cling, he's using the same language that is used of the way a husband clings to a wife. Don't ever let it go. Hate what is evil. Don't let it be seen or named among you. Because you see, this kind of true and genuine love is a mark of community and of family. Look at verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Now this... Word for love one another means please be fervent in your love. Be devoted in your love. It is a strong kind of love that is a mark of a community, that is a mark of a family. There is a sense of natural affection that takes place. No one doubts a mother's love for her child. A mother would stand in front of a rampaging bear for her child, wouldn't she? That's how you are to love one another. Fervently, passionately, with a love that is bound for family. This is again this word Philadelphia, brotherly love, because after all, a community is a family. And this kind of love is for everyone. Not for a chosen few. Not for those who are like us. You see, one of the ways that we show that the church is different from the world is that we love everyone in the church. 
There is a sense of enthusiasm too that must be part of the foundation of our community. Look what Paul says in verse 10. Outdo one another in showing honor. He says you must be people who show the way. You must outdo others. You must be going on ahead and showing the way. You need to be the pathfinders of community. What do pathfinders or scouts do? They go boldly where everyone else wants to hang back. But what happens? Once they go, people follow. They have security. They have confidence. They have commitment in the task because they know someone is leading the way. And that's what Paul says. You must be people who outdo one another in showing honor. And others within the covenant community and outside will follow. You must be diligent, Paul says in verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. We cannot fall prey to that American trait of trying to do the minimum possible to get the job done. You see, that is what we try and do so often. We... We see point A to point B and we think, how can we do as little as possible? How can we sacrifice the least in order to get this done? And Paul says, no, you have to be diligent. You cannot be lazy. You must be zealous. You must be eager. Do you know who is lazy just like this slothful zeal? It is the man who buried his talent for his Lord. And his Lord came back and he said, What are you doing, you lazy man, you slothful man? I gave you this gift so that you might increase, so that you might share with others. You see, God has given you gifts today. He has given you gifts to build up the community. And Paul is telling you here today to be excited about that, to be active in that. But it cannot be a flash in the pan either. Do you see what Paul says? He says, Be fervent in spirit. And by fervency, he means you must not be like a flame that burns out. You must be like a pot that boils, that's constantly bubbling, constantly working, constantly warm. One of my favorite things to do, and my children have come to enjoy it, is whenever we have sauce-making day. It's sauce-making day, not hour. And you put all of the ingredients in and you let it go and you let it bubble and stir and do all the wonderful, marvelous things it does with the meats and the sausage and the tomatoes and the vegetables. And you see, that is what the church is to be like. It is to be a place where there is constant activity, where there is a bubbling up of love and fervency for one another, where community is not a switch we turn on and off, but it is something that is always present among us. And you see, this kind of fervency, this kind of diligence will come out in a practical commitment. That's why Paul makes this last statement in verse 11. He says, serve the Lord. It sounds trite. Well, of course we serve the Lord. No, Paul's saying, serve the Lord. Put it at your forefront of your thoughts. Be diligent, be fervent, but have it directed toward the Lord and His purposes. This is what it means to have enthusiasm. And the third thing that is a foundation for community is patience. We see this here 
in verse 12, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. You see, Paul says if we are to be truly a community that is bound together, we must be focused on the end goal. Not on all of the individual things that make us up. Not on all of the things that separate us. We must be focused on the thing that unifies us. The joy and the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And if we are focused upon that, we can be patient one with another and with ourselves. Paul says the foundation of community is patience. Because you see, struggles are going to come up. Paul's very real. He had real congregations. He says, you're going to have tribulation. Things are going to test you. Others are going to want to see you fail. Think about the way America is today. We, in order to sell the most news, we want to see failure spectacular and scandal. What is on the tabloid sheets? What is on the internet and on the television? How people who should be on a pedestal have failed. We long to see it, thinking somehow that makes us better. But you see, Paul says, no, you must be patient and persevere through all of this tribulation. And the way that we do this is difficult. It is to continue in prayer. Do you see that? Be constant in prayer. That is how we rejoice in hope and we are patient in tribulation. There is a very practical thing that we can do to be very active and that is to be a community of prayer. It is hard to be disunited. It is hard to have difficulties in strife when you are praying one for another. That is a foundation of community. But it's not just the beginnings and the foundation of community that we know. We must also live out the community that is before us. Paul reminds us of this in verse 13. The first thing that he tells us is this. It is costly. Now, young people, I know that our society today has tried as hard as it can to teach you otherwise, but let me give you an important truth. Write it down and carry it with you. There is no such thing as a free lunch. Everything that is good comes at a cost. Children come at a big cost. Not just in dollars, but in sleepless nights. Right? In prayers before the throne of God in strivings, in an unwillingness to let them go. Marriages come at a cost. You can't do everything you want to do when you want to do it. You have to sacrifice for the other. Everything that is good comes with a cost. And that's what Paul says here. He begins in verse 13. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. He says, you must think about others' needs. You must live lives of generosity, putting others before yourself. And this will show itself in hospitality. Now, hospitality is, I think, something that even in the church is misunderstood. I think oftentimes in the church, we think hospitality is defined and summed up with a a big red bow as a pot roast in a slow cooker. And if we're really good, 
some dessert to go along with it. Hospitality is not lunch. It's not having someone in your home. That's a part of hospitality. But hospitality is way bigger than that. Do you remember how we talked before about brotherly love and loving fervently and, and being committed to others? Philadelphia, we get that word. This word is not love of brothers. This word is love of strangers. Same sort of word. You see, what hospitality is about is being active and being out in the community and loving others who are not like us. It is not a passive thing. You know, so many times I think the American church believes that it is conducting hospitality, that it is reaching out to the community by making this statement. Well, the doors are open. Anybody can come anytime they want. We'll even welcome them when they come in. Paul says that's foolish. Paul's advice, no. The Holy Spirit's command is this. It is to seek to show hospitality, to pursue it, to run after it. This is a verb that we use of running down an outlaw, chasing down people. This is what we should seek to do as a covenant community, to show hospitality, to be bumping each other, to be elbowing each other out of the way, as it were, to show hospitality one to another. A community is costly also because in verse 14 it needs to be marked by forgiveness. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Do you see what Paul is saying here? This is not theoretical for Paul. Paul was stoned. Paul was whipped. Paul was thrown in prison. And what he is saying here is, follow me as I follow Stephen as we follow Christ. Bless those. Do not curse them. Living out community is costly. But it's also difficult. You see, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. This is a very concrete sense of sympathy and community. And this is difficult, isn't it? It may surprise you, but I believe that Paul began with rejoicing because it's harder. What, you say? I think it's hard to weep with someone who weeps. They're going through such a difficult time. Think now to a moment when someone had something exceedingly wonderful happen to them. And you wished it would have happened to you. They have a new car. Their child get into the college, yours didn't. Their marriage is flowering when yours seems to need a good weed eater. Their job is going along just fine. And you're toiling. Paul tells you you are to rejoice with those who rejoice. That's a hard thing to do. And it can only be done with a sense of community that says, it's not all about me. We're in this together. I'm so happy for you that the Lord is blessing you. That is real community. The community in the church is not a rat race. It's not to see who can get ahead. It's a blessing that God brings to us 
that we have others around us that we can rejoice in what He is doing in their lives. A third and final thing about community is this. And that is a real challenge that faces us today here in Katy at Christ Church is that we cannot surrender the community that we have. Because there are those who seek to destroy it. Trouble will come from within and from without. The community is under attack. And it's under attack from us. From our desires. From our longings. You see what Paul has to tell us here in verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. You see, what we want to do is, instinctively, we want to get even. We want to set things right for us. And Paul says you need to be patient because you don't live on an island. It's not just about you. God is in charge. He is taking care of things. And it's not easy because we must think to ourselves, not what do I want, but what will others think about my actions? How will I reflect the Lord Jesus Christ? And this is something that you need to be doing right now and each and every day. Do you see what Paul says? He says, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And by that he means you must think ahead of time. You must plan for what will come. This is simple. It's so simple that we understand it, I think, best in the realm of athletics. One of the things that as I have coached baseball, I always drill into my players is this. When you are in the field, do not pick the grass. Do not look at the clouds. Do not think about what you're going to have for snack. You need to think, if the ball is hit to me, what am I going to do with it? Because if you wait until it is hit to you, it will be too late. And you won't know. Life is like that. Think ahead of time what you will do in situations. Don't wait for it to come upon you in shock. Think to yourself ahead of time. What can I do? How can I live my life? How can I live on a trajectory that is honorable in the sight of all and that glorifies God? We're not going to surrender community. We must think ahead of time. We must be peacemakers. We must also understand that community is a place where pardon is found. Because after all, It's not our community. It's God's. And that's why Paul says, never avenge yourself, in verse 19, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You see, we are not in control. We are the ones who have to trust the Lord. The world thinks that it's all about me, me, me. What are my rights? How can I stand? What's in it for me? And you see... It is so countercultural to say, it's not about me, it's about God. I trust Him to take care of the ledger. I trust Him to make sure that justice will be done. His justice is true and pure and right. Mine is not. So I trust Him. I will not surrender community to my own thoughts and needs for vengeance or justice. 
And then finally, Paul has this last word of encouragement to each and every one of us. Do not be overcome by evil. But overcome evil with good. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Unbelievably difficult to put into practice. But if we are to have community, we must persevere through difficult times. We must see that the whole is greater than each of the circumstances before us. You see, building community is not easy. It never is. And what Paul is telling you is, do not be overcome by all of the challenges and the sin and the wickedness in your own life and in the lives of others. Do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. For you see, that is the solution to the world, isn't it? The solution to the world is that good overcomes all. That Christ overcomes the world. That Jesus is victorious. That is the solution. You see, at the end of the day, glory is not primarily about the punishment of the wicked. At the end of the day, what glory is about is the Lord Jesus Christ creating a new kingdom of righteousness and peace. For all eternity, overcoming all of the sin in your life and in mine to make us anew. If Jesus can overcome your evil and my evil in our lives, can He not overcome the evil in the world? You see, this is the Lord that we serve He has given to us a community. He has walked up to us in our sin and our rebellion and He has plucked the earphones out of our ears and said, you must listen. You must laugh. You must cry with one another. He has built for us a magnificent front porch so that as we live our lives, we can watch others live their lives and we can converse and rejoice with one another. This is the work of King Jesus. He is building a community that is worthy of the great community, the great triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What a blessing it is for us to be called to that community, to be a part of the family of God. Let's pray.